I kind of abandoned most of my dreams, goals, ambitions, and just the only two things on my mind were how can I get some money and how can I get high? You know, the addiction progressed and it was no longer very social and, you know, heroin and crack were the drugs of choice for me. Besides losing my own life, there's not much that addiction didn't take me through. Picture this. You're just a regular teen. Good grades, good family, and a great upbringing. But you start hanging around the wrong crowd. Influenced by your peers to start doing drugs and drinking. You realize the drugs and alcohol are suppressing feelings and emotions of something you held deep down since you were a child. Suffering from a traumatic experience that you understood but tried to forget. This is the story of Sean Landis. Junior high, I believe seventh grade was when I started drinking and smoking a little bit and had some experience with that. Both of those were cool. They seemed fun. They seemed social and there was a couple, you know, other kids at that time that were doing it. So, you know, we were kind of like the the bad kids or whatever. But the experience that stuck with me was in eighth grade. A family member of mine was in a bad car accident. They were prescribed Oxycontin back before, you know, they made the whole switch to Percocet. Back the old original Oxycontin. And they couldn't take them because, you know, it's a pretty strong painkiller. It, it made them sick. So this is before the era of dump your extra narcotics down the toilet or come throw them away at the sheriff's station. That wasn't a thing. You know, we kept liquid codeine in the cabinet in case one of us got bronchitis. You know, it was just, it it made sense. Why pay for the prescription again if you can use this a few times? I had had those experiences with uh, alcohol and and marijuana and I liked it and it just sparked this kind of interest in, and to be Honest, I'm I'm still fascinated and interested with the interaction that like chemicals have with our body. But especially at that time when I hadn't experienced all these different things, it was always a goal of like what what other substances could I try? I wonder what they feel like. I knew they were something. I didn't know how powerful or how expensive they were or anything like that, but kind of stumbled on a gold mine without knowing it. Had my first experience with Oxycontin at thirteen. That rocked my world. I remember, I think all my family was sleeping. I was in the basement alone, snuck out into the kitchen, grabbed whatever out of the cabinet. I took a few of them, and I remember I was drinking a 7-Up, and I was just waiting, waiting, waiting. I was like, when does this kick in? What does it feel like? I was loaded, got sick as a dog. My face was green. I was sweating, but I remember the euphoria I felt. That's really what stuck with me. I didn't care that I was sick. I didn't care that, you know, I might have taken like a little bit too much for my first time. I just remember my brain finally shut up for a little bit. I didn't have racing thoughts, anxiety, anything like that. It was all gone. And that's that's the moment for me that really started. It planted a seed when I was young. And thankfully, I didn't have any social access to getting more of this drug until later. So whenever that script ran out, it ran out. And thankfully, I didn't have people that I knew at that time that sold it. So that planted a seed that wouldn't really sprout until years later. At 13, I'm not sure I even knew what Oxycontin was. Granted, I was in the seventh grade, but I was so oblivious to drugs and alcohol. The part that I kept coming back to that really caught my attention 
was when he mentioned a particular void in his life. And my thought, my question was, was he using Oxy to numb himself from the void? Yeah, yeah. I won't go into crazy detail because I think there's like a fine line of addressing issues that could help another person and, you know, a certain level of information that might not be comfortable for people to hear on a platform like this. But long story short, uh, there was sexual abuse in my childhood. As I said, it wasn't done by any family members. It was kind of like trusted family or family friend down the street. And because of what happened, those things didn't stick in my memory immediately. I knew that I wasn't okay, but I didn't have the actual memory of those events and what happened to me until probably 18 or 19 years old. So I felt a little different. I can't say every issue I've had was caused by that. I can't even tell you I I became an addict because of that. I think there's so many factors at play. So many people, so many other people have been through that and they don't pick up the drink or the drug. So I can't say it caused anything, but what I can tell you is I felt different. I felt worthless. I felt like I had done something wrong, but didn't know what it was. And I didn't really want to live at a relatively young age. I had some brief experiences with self-harm when I was probably 11, maybe 12. I didn't know why. I just didn't like life and whatever I had to do to kind of try and like stop the thoughts I was having was what I was going to do. I had some Like I said, great family. I love them to death. We're still very close to this day. They knew something was wrong and they did the best they could to to try and get me some sort of help. Official diagnosis for me at probably around 12 years old was depression, generalized anxiety disorder, and Tourette's syndrome. So a relatively mild but significant enough mental health issue that tried some different medicines and things like that. But yeah, as a child, I I did feel a little bit, I didn't feel like I fit in with anybody. I didn't feel like they understood me. And I felt like I was never even with somebody else. They were up here. I was this, you know, piece of crap way down here. I didn't deserve their attention or their presence or their friendship. So I'd say I would assume some of that stuff is because of what happened as a kid. All I know is what happened to me and a lot of the feelings that I had around a similar age. Right. And uh, first off, I want to say thank you for sharing that with us. It takes a lot to share something like that, especially something that you feel may have caused where you're at now recovering from drug abuse and alcohol abuse. So first off, I just have to say thank you for sharing that because stepping up and saying something like that, that could definitely help someone out there who's listening because I'm assuming that is hard to say out loud even till this day because you live with that always, right? So thank you for that. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Something I wanted to mention also is you know we all have our experiences and again like Avery said thank you for sharing that and like I'm just thinking about mine as we're going through this I'm thinking about what I went through and and when I started you like drinking alcohol I started drinking alcohol at a young age too and I started experimenting was smoking weed and, and all this stuff and I remember that it was a feeling of filling a void of just like something was missing and when I did that I didn't have to think about all of that stuff or, or feel the way I felt. So that's what had so much appeal to the experimentation. And 
like I didn't experiment at that level as you did, but it like filled this void. And like, I could feel like me wanting to experiment and me wanting to try different things and see like, oh, maybe this could help it even more, can bring me away from all that stuff that I'm dealing with even more. And, you know, I think this is a common thing that people deal with when it comes to this stuff is like, we have these things that happen to us and whether they're conscious of it or, or it's in our subconscious and we haven't realized it yet, we feel like something's wrong. And there's a void and there's something missing and it needs to be filled. And when you experiment with those things, you realize that it kind of takes away that pain that you're feeling in the moment. It fills that void and then that becomes a crutch, right? And that's why you keep doing it and, and it keeps going. So with those things, I always found like my addiction just to be the, the filling of the void. And that's why I keep doing it. Just wanted to put that out there because I was thinking about it while you were sharing that story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm right there with you. It's not even so much dependent on substance. You know, there's substances that click differently with everybody, depending on brain chemistry, personality, all that stuff. I don't really judge somebody based on what they did or didn't use. If they feel like they can relate to my story in a way, or they had that same relationship with a substance, that's really all the common ground we need. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with me, man. Yeah, of course. I just look back at my experiences and I see like when we have people on the podcast, there there are ties to like certain things. And I'm like, like all of our stories are different, but I think in, in little ways they all connect, which is why this is a powerful thing we wanted to create with this platform of helping people share them because yes, they're different, but yes, we can all connect with that vulnerability and what we've been through. So yeah, that's that's huge. So after going through you know, all of that, the trauma. And then you said you didn't even realize what you were like 19, like you, till you connected the dots. Yeah. In that moment, when you connect the dots, what was that like? You don't, don't explain the situation. Just explain what it was like connecting the dots and then how, what your reaction was. Yeah. Very strange. It was almost like one of those things at first where I thought, am I making this up? Why am I thinking about this? And then it, it was kind of like breadcrumbs. There were some things I thought about. I'm like, okay, why well, I'm thinking about this. This is kind of weird. It was almost just like more pieces of the puzzle were revealed. I can't tell you exactly how it happened. I just remember around the age where I remembered enough to know what happened. I still probably don't remember everything from those situations or though that time period. I think a common thing with trauma is... There is usually a little bit of memory loss when it happens at a young age. Some people eventually get the whole event back together, but still have some some gaps in other parts of their life. I kind of said, you know, yeah, like I, I do remember these things happening now. I, I This isn't some fever dream because that's almost what it seemed like at, at one point was just, why would you choose to think about something like this? This is a really strange thing to like just bring up in your head. And then as more details came to my mind, it didn't really feel like I'm making anything up or it's a fever dream. I remember where I was, who was there, times that it happened, images in my mind of what was happening. So those things let me know this wasn't some strange figment of my imagination. And it was tough. It's, it's uh, you know, this isn't something that as a man, not that it's easy to go through as a woman. I definitely don't mean that. But as a man, there's like some sort of extra or additional stigma to... We're supposed to be big and tough and you can't let anybody mess with you. But, you know, I was a kid and I didn't have the muscle or the knowledge yet to to really know how wrong that was and to set 
healthy boundaries and take myself out of this situation. So it took some coming to grips with that. It took a lot of time and a lot of acceptance for me to, I believe I've told my mother and my brother still, you know, haven't necessarily figured out how to have that conversation with my father. Not because I don't feel like I can't go to him with things that trouble me, but I know a father's worst fear in the world is not being able to protect his kid. So the last thing I really wanted to do was was trouble him with that. And I talked about it with people I needed to talk about it with. I've, I've shared that with other people, other alcoholics and addicts. I've shared that with therapists. That was a big step for me was actually saying, let's talk about this and try to like get past it, process it rather than just taking it to the grave and hoping it doesn't completely unravel me. So it's been a process. I feel overall pretty good these days. Terrible things happen to everybody sooner or later. We all have a hand we're dealt. We all have things we we have to get past. And, you know, this was one thing for me. So I've come to terms with it, man. It's it was unfortunate. And I can either continue to let that dictate my current situation, you know, or I can try to move past it, move forward and, and heal. Exactly. And I think you made a lot of great points when you were just speaking there, especially I think the biggest point you made was saying something. You said talking about it was something that really helped you taking that step, that leap to tell a therapist, hey, this happened to me, to let all of that out. That was probably over the span of you know, 20 plus years, you had that bottled up, pushed down, compressed trying to avoid thinking about it, just not wanting anything to do with it. And then making that final step to say, hey, I have to say something out loud. And so was it like a spur of the moment thing when you said it out loud? Or did you plan to tell the therapist that specific day? Or how did that come about? I think the first person I ever told was my mother. That was what broke the ice, really. It's not like once I talked to her about it, I could talk to anybody about it. But from there, that kind of broke the ice to be able to address it with the privacy of a therapy setting. And then from, you know, some extended work with a therapist, then that allowed me to, to sort of be comfortable enough to share that in a more casual setting. It's definitely not something I just throw out there with people I don't know. But at the same time, If somebody shares they're going through something, they went through something similar and they don't know what to do about it or something like a situation like that, I have no issue with, you know, offering part of that story as common ground and trying to tell them what works for me and what didn't work for me, which I think is that's all the comfort I need. I don't want to be comfortable telling strangers that, but... No, and you definitely don't have to. I mean, it's your story and you you own your story. We can all see that and hear that. And another part of what you were talking about is how you're moving forward. You're going forward, you're progressing, and that's what you have to do. And I think that's a huge thing as well, because when you sit around and you dwell on it and you you just you wallow in your own grief and pity, you don't go anywhere. And then it opens the door for things like substance abuse and other, you know, things that aren't great for you. And so at the time when you open up with your mom and you're opening up with a therapist, are you still battling substance abuse or was this later on you were able to open up and talk about this? 
Yeah, yeah, it was actually in the midst of of that battle. It was the call with my mom happened. I was in a I was detoxing off of heroin. I was in a facility and uh I was on the phone with her. I think it was probably one of our many how did this happen again conversations cuz you know I had to get help many times. I've been lucky enough to get help many times. I know there's so much demand for it these days that there's not always beds open. But the call was was from a facility with her and and she was just kind of trying to understand a little bit more of why the same a son she raised in the same household as my very successful, charismatic and positive brother turned to, to a drug like this, like what got me here? And, you know, she poked and prodded a little. I didn't just come forward and say it, but, you know, she basically just f- flat out asked the question. She's like, did something happen to you when you were a kid? I wanted to lie, you know, keep the poker face up, look tough, sound tough. But I just, I started crying and I said, yeah. And I believe to this day, I shared a couple more details with her about it because she was obviously asking. She was very... I think trying to battle her curiosity because I know she wanted all the info and probably wanted to raise hell. But that was the only conversation we've had about it to this day. And it kind of goes without saying. She understands the importance of me. Like I need to process that and she knows it. But she also knows that she's probably not the one to process that with. It's a very emotional and messy conversation to have repeatedly with family. So... As much as I love them, they're not my therapists, and it would not be fair to them for me to to consistently burden them with something like that. So, you know, we had a pretty brief conversation about it where I just told her that did happen. This is what happened. I'm not okay, but hopefully I will be. So this was in the midst of my addiction, or at least trying to clean up one of the many times I did. And then my first experience with with a therapist telling a therapist was at a facility as well. Because a lot of times when you come in those places, you know, you, you haven't had a hot meal in however long. You haven't, you know, had a comfortable night's sleep or, you know, you haven't had a shower in two weeks. You know, you're broken down. So... You see a therapist and you're like, what do I have to lose? So that was also my, my first experience telling a therapist was just coming in beat up, just waving my white flag. Like, you know, if I don't talk about this, maybe I'm destined to keep making these same mistakes. What Sean said really resonated with me. My whole life, I've struggled to open up and share what I'm going through with others. It wasn't until I was 23 years old that I gained the courage to share my story about being bullied and my autoimmune disorder. After I shared my story, I felt like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders. Sean is now over nine months sober, and we couldn't be more proud of him. This is Sean's advice for people going through difficult situations. That's a tough one to concisely answer. I would say my message to them would be to speak up. It doesn't have to be to the world. It doesn't have to be to family. It doesn't have to be to anybody specifically. It just cannot only reside in you. Talk to a friend, talk to whoever you trust, even if you have to say it to a stranger. Uh, Speak up about it. Substance abuse is a very complicated thing. So is trauma. But I do believe that there's a lot of ways to get past it. There's a lot of ways to learn to live with the trauma or to to, uh, move on from the substance abuse. For substance abuse, I think it's very important to get proper help in a facility if you need to get off of a substance that's dangerous to be on and have, you know, some doctors there that might be able to show you some things you might be needing. For me, there was a lot of mental health stuff that was untreated. 
those things have helped me a lot. Same with the trauma. See, seeing a professional really, really helps. It doesn't help everything overnight, but it will help. I think something important for substance abuse as well is finding a purpose, finding a new purpose, because now that you're not chasing that drug or that drink, you need something that's going to occupy your day. So if that's a long-term goal, if that's a workout regimen, if that's your purpose is to be the nicest person you can be and help other people and make them smile, every human needs a purpose. And what I've learned is if I don't have a purpose in my life, my mind will find its own purpose and it's not always the best one. If I'm not stimulating my mind with something positive, probably going to default into something negative. It might seem fun at first, but you know, it might be drugs and alcohol, it might be sex, it might be gambling, it might be shopping. And ultimately, it's just pouring water into a cup with a hole in the bottom. Like it, it never fills up, it never makes me feel whole. I don't like who I am after a while. But when I have these actual purposes like living by principles, trying to achieve some long-term goals, trying to be supportive and help in any situation that there's an opportunity to. If I'm put in a situation where I can say yes or no to helping somebody, I should never be saying no. If I do those things, I help others, I do... If you want self-esteem, do esteemable acts. You know, somebody told me that. I hated who I was and tried to throw band-aids on that by doing drugs and then I needed more drugs so I did terrible things to get more drugs. So then I hated who I was even more. And breaking that cycle into small positive choices, spreading positivity, and just making like a plan for myself has really made a lot of difference. I have to stay connected to other people that are supportive and positive. I have to say, who do I want to be? Where do I want to be in two years, three years, five years, 10 years? And just do the right thing. Do the next right thing. I was told early on in sobriety, and I do think it is the most important thing. I don't think I do a great job of it all the time, but I had a million questions of how to get sober, how to stay sober. And somebody said, yeah, 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 slow the fuck down. Just do the next right thing. For a guy like me who overthinks, sometimes I need it simple like that. That is a statement right there. Do the next right thing. And that's something that is going to impact people listening to this podcast because we're all going through stuff. And for me, that's a good motto too, because when I'm going through life, like right now I need that. Do the next right thing. Man, that's deep and that's a lot of wisdom you just gave and a lot of a lot of good words. So I really, really appreciate that, Sean. Yeah, I appreciate both you guys. Honestly, I'm this isn't something I'm very used to, but I saw a post Avery made and I was like, you know what? Like might as well message him, see if this is something they could use. You know, you guys are helping me by giving me a, a space to talk about stuff like this. So I hope it can help somebody else. Today has helped me just talking about this out loud, I think has some sort of benefit. I don't know the the clinical explanation for that, but I feel like the more you talk about your issues, the less they really affect you. So it's it's been a blessing being able to talk about this stuff and thank you guys for the platform. You are so welcome, Sean. You have a fantastic story. So happy for you with nine months sober. That's incredible. And wow, just just awesome words of wisdom. Wow. All right, guys, that ends another episode of the Mindshape Podcast. Stay tuned for the full weekly recap after this episode.